our series on the church. We last time went over um, how to resolve doctrinal differences in the church. Today I want to deal with how do you resolve personal differences, personal conflicts that we have in the church. Next week, Lord willing, I want to deal with how to resolve personality and methodology differences where it's not a sin issue, but it's like somebody rubs you wrong, you just don't get along with them, or where they want to do it this way and you say, no, I want to do it that way. So that's kind of where I'm going next week, Lord willing, with our series. Um, You should find an outline in the bulletin and printed messages at both are all three exits, and you can grab one now if you like. I think they're kind of mustard-colored this week. And um, uh, the message today is going to be kind of detailed because I, this is a subject where it's easy to blow it off in general terms but not do anything specific. And I wanted to give specific help about these issues, which can uh, sometimes require that kind of direction. Uh, By way of backdrop, I want to read two texts, one in um, Matthew chapter 5 and then the other in Matthew chapter 18. So in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. That's from the Ten Commandments. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. The other text is in Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 15, where Jesus says, If your brother sins... Go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I'll deal more with that text in detail when we, um, in a future message, deal with the subject of church discipline, but I wanted it as a general backdrop to the message today. So we want to talk today about resolving personal conflict uh, in the church. I am not a prophet, and I am not the son of a prophet, but I'm going to make a prophecy that will be 100% accurate. Okay? The prophecy is this. If you are involved in a local church, you will at some point have conflict with another believer. 
It's absolutely certain that will happen. Uh, the person may wrong you unintentionally or they may do it intentionally. Uh, most likely it will not involve a violation of our civil laws, but it could. I've seen it happen where one believer wrongs another in a way that is criminal. Uh, you, besides being wronged, you will wrong another believer. That will happen. And another situation, someone will wrong one of your family members or a close friend, and then that family member or friend will come and tell you about it. Now, we need to know what to do in these situations, and I'm not overstating things when I say that if you don't learn to deal biblically with personal conflict, you will not do well in your Christian life. I mean, after all, it is the second greatest commandment. So it's not just, uh, you know, a minor little thing. This is the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's really, really important for you to learn how to obey that commandment if you want God's blessing on your life and on your relationships. But such obedience doesn't happen automatically. It takes biblical understanding, and it takes a lot of work, constant work. I believe that every relational conflict we have is an opportunity to learn more about Christ. I think we have to view it in those terms. This is a chance to learn more about Christ. Did somebody treat me in an offensive manner? Well, they treated my Savior that way. Uh, and he still loved them. Did somebody just run roughshod over my feelings? Well, I think Jesus had feelings, and he certainly had people who were insensitive to his feelings. Did I show kindness to someone only to have them maybe go behind my back and spread lies about me? Well, I think Jesus knew that experience. Did my friends desert me at my time of need? Well, Jesus had all the disciples leave him there in the garden and flee for their lives. Or did a close associate betray me? Well, you know Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And so maybe you feel mistreated or you feel unloved or you feel betrayed by a family member or a fellow Christian. What I'm saying is you can get angry and bitter or you can go before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to learn more about Christ in this difficult situation that I'm in. Because Jesus loved me even though my sin put him on the cross. So how you deal with conflict in your family or in the church or for that matter in the world is either going to hinder God's kingdom advancing, or it's going to further the advancement of God's kingdom. If you respond in the flesh, like the world does, the world will look at you and say, huh, another hypocrite, claims to be a Christian, look at how he's acting in the situation. But if you respond in the spirit, which counters the world, the world will stop and say, wow, wow, how does... He do that. Why does he do that? 
an opportunity to advance the kingdom. So this is a really important subject, and I'm going to say that resolving conflict in a biblical way is crucial for the very sake of the gospel. Now, I'm going to spend most of the message on what you should do if another believer wrongs you. And as I said, I'm going to be fairly detailed. I will deal also with what you should do if some if you wrong someone else. I'll just touch on that briefly. And what do you do when someone you know has been wronged and they come to you and tell you about it and uh, how, how you do that. Now, I cannot cover everything in one message. I have at least four or five, if not more than that, messages on the website. You can go and look for a topical search there on relationships and find those on the church website. I also have a a one-page summary on the website that I often go over with couples. I always do it in pre-marriage counseling or marriage counseling. Um, And there are copies of these at both the exits called some biblical principles for communication, and that's on the church website as well. And in addition, I would recommend a little book that I put out on the book table called Resolving Everyday Conflict with, uh, it's written by Ken Sandy, uh, wrote a longer book called Peacemaker, and uh, Kevin Johnson. And then Stuart Scott has Uh, It's a very helpful book called The Exemplary Husband, uh, but the length of that book might put you off, and so they've published individual chapters, and those are on the book table as well. One of them is called Communication and Conflict Resolution, and it's written in the context, again, of married couples, but uh, it's helpful across the board, and then the other Uh, is From Pride to Humility by the same author, Stuart Scott, and it's excellent. Marla told me one time after she had read or reread it, if every couple in the church would read that little booklet, you would be out of business as far as marriage counseling. It's really good if we would apply it. So that's on the book table as well. Now, let's suppose someone in this church has wronged you, Uh, Maybe it was gossip. Maybe they were telling half-truths about you. Uh, God forbid it could be something really serious. Someone has committed adultery with your spouse or molested one of your children, something really serious. So I'm going to deal, first of all, how do you deal with a non-legal wrong? That is something that doesn't involve the laws of our country. And then, how do you deal with it if somebody has violated the law? First of all, when a believer intentionally wrongs you in a a non-legal way, do three things. First, look to the Lord, then look to yourself, and then go to the person in an attempt to be reconciled. First of all, Uh, By non-legal, I don't mean that the wrong was not serious. For example, committing adultery. It's a serious, serious sin, but the law doesn't deal with it. We don't stone adulterers anymore as they did in the Old Testament. Uh, So it's 
serious. Also, I will say, it's not always easy to determine, did they wrong me intentionally or was it just an oversight, an unintentional wrong? Maybe you're dealing with somebody who is spiritually immature. They aren't taught in the word. They don't know how to go about dealing with a situation like this. Uh, So you have to evaluate all about that, and I'll talk about that a little more later. But if you're pretty sure it was an intentional wrong, the first thing to do is look to the Lord. Now, that sounds totally obvious, but I can assure you that when you're in the throes of somebody has wronged you, that's not the first instinct you have is looking to the Lord. The most natural thing to do is to react emotionally. We all have feelings, and your feelings got hurt. And so you react that way rather than stopping and saying, Lord, how do you want me to respond here? Uh, Ken Sandy and Kevin Johnson in that little book I pointed out uh, that I mentioned, they point out that in any conflict, there are three possible responses. You can escape, you can attack, or you can make peace. If you respond in the flesh, you're going to either escape or attack. Those are the fleshly reactions. I don't want to deal with it. Let me out of here. Or I'm going to get them. And you go after them. If you do that, you won't resolve the conflict and you won't grow in Christ. But if you look to the Lord, then you can take the steps that will lead to making peace. First of all, you need to look to the glory of Christ as your aim in resolving any conflict. Look to the glory of Christ. Uh, By that I mean stop and say, Lord, all right, how can I glorify you in this situation And that begins in the heart level, so I have to please you, Lord, with my thoughts. I can't gloat secretly about how good it would be to get him. Uh, I I have to please you with my words. I can't say things that are going to dishonor Christ. I have to please you with my deeds. And so that should be your aim in every relational conflict is, Lord, first and foremost, I want to glorify and honor the Lord Jesus. Secondly, look to the cross of Christ as the basis for forgiveness and reconciliation. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups, and it's talking about the Jews and Gentiles, into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. And as you know, in that day, Jews and Gentiles despised one another. Uh, They were derisive toward one another. But Paul goes on to say in that same text that through the cross, Christ reconciled these formerly hostile enemies in one body in the church uh, to himself. Also, you remember the parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 18, where a man owed his, uh, a slave owed his owner an astronomical sum at least in today's dollars, $5 billion. There's no way he could ever repay the debt. And the master forgave him. 
And then he went out and he grabs a fellow slave and it's often taught he owed him, you know, 10 bucks. It's not. It was a substantial amount, like probably $5,000 in today's money. But he grabs him and says, pay up or I'm going to throw you into prison. And the master was not happy with that. Um, and the point of that story is you've been forgiven $5 billion. Now you can forgive the wrongs against you, even if they're fairly significant. Because the cross, God forgave the entire debt of our sin. There's nothing left for me or you to pay back if you've trusted in Christ. It's an amazing thing. And so, we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. So the cross, then, is the basis for reconciliation with somebody who's wronged me. Thirdly, look to the body of Christ as the basis for preserving unity. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul teaches how we're all one body. We have different gifts, different functions. We don't all look alike or act alike, but we're all the same body, just as members of our physical body are. And so if my brother in Christ wrongs me, and I lash out and wrong him back, I'm hurting myself because we're all part of the same body. And worse than that, I'm hurting Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And so my purpose is not to get even. It's not to make him pay, tear him down. It's to bring healing and reconciliation. Just as if my hand is hurt, the rest of my body is going to come to its aid and say, ah, you got to get that fixed and try and bring healing. Fourthly, look to the love of Christ as the example of how you should respond to the one who wronged you. Jesus loved us and sacrificed himself on the cross for us while we were yet sinners. Now, that doesn't mean you should just overlook or absorb every wrong against you without confronting the one who wronged you. Love seeks the highest good of the other person. And sometimes the highest good is they need to see their sin so they can repent of it and be whole. And maybe it was a blind spot. And if they go on doing it, they're going to continue alienating themselves from others. And so love sometimes has to say, you know, brother, there's an issue here. There's a problem and lovingly confront the person. But your aim is you want to build him in Christ by showing him the love of Christ, even if he has wronged you. Fifthly, look to the sovereignty of Christ, who brought this trial into your life for his glory and for your good, and also for the good of the one who wronged you. Uh, There's a mystery in the Bible that I can't explain, and that is that the Lord is never responsible for sin, but in ways I cannot understand, the Lord uses other people's sins for his own glory and for our good if we respond rightly. Remember the story of Joseph and his brothers. They hated him, and out of hatred, they sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him. But they thought, well, let's make a buck. So they sold him into slavery. He gets down to Egypt, which was a traumatic thing for a teenage boy to go to a foreign country like that. 
He is, uh, becomes Potiphar's slave. Potiphar's wife throws herself at him. He does the right thing and resists her advances. And he spends the better part of his 20s in prison. You got the formula right there for, for a very bitter man to develop. But Joseph never got bitter. And uh, later, he, he trusted in the sovereign goodness of God through the whole thing. And later, years later, after their father was dead, he says to his brothers at the end of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result uh, to preserve many people alive. So, First and foremost, when you're wrong, stop and look to the Lord and get the Lord's perspective on the situation before you react. Secondly, look within. Look to yourself and do a heart check. First of all, check for hidden causes for the offense on your part. You say, on my part? He wronged me, yeah? But stop and think about it. Did you previously wrong him in some way and you never went and made it right? See, that may uh, alter things. Maybe you came across in an arrogant or an abrasive or a self-serving manner. James chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 asks us, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So if you have previously wronged the one who wronged you, it doesn't absolve them of their wrong, but it does alter the equation, doesn't it? And you won't be reconciled until you can first go to the one who wronged you and say, I have come to see how wrong I was. And you ask their forgiveness. Secondly, checking to yourself in a heart check, check for a root of bitterness on your part. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 warns us, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. Uh, you know, bitterness is the, the way the flesh reacts when you're wronged. If you can't get even, <sighs> you know, you just get bitter. But bitterness is a root. Now, some of you are gardeners and you know it's easier to dig out a weed when the root is this deep than when the thing is way down in there. And if you let it grow for a few years, that thing's got roots that go all the way down to China. You know, you're, you're digging and digging to try to get it all out. It's that way with bitterness. And if you let it fester in your life, the writer of Hebrews says it defiles many. It's going to defile your family. Kids pick up a spirit of bitterness really quick. They see when the parents are bitter people. And they become bitter kids. So you've got to root that out and deal with bitterness. Thirdly, check for any gossip on your part. Boy, there's another <clears throat> natural reaction. Somebody wrongs me, I go tell somebody, you know what he did? And then I go tell someone else, boy, let me tell you what he did. 
And pretty soon it's all over the place, spreading it. I'm trying to build, you know, get people in my camp and build my case against him. And pretty soon everybody will turn against him. And uh, it's just going to multiply. Now, there is a point for going to a trusted, godly, mature counselor and saying, can I get your counsel? Here's what happened as I understand it. That's fine. To one. Not to 15 counselors, okay? So you have to limit it. And then report back to that counselor after you've gotten it cleared up so that he or she understands the matter has been dealt with. But don't go to everybody you know and try to build your case. That's gossip. A fourth thing to check is check for a spirit of gentleness and a true desire for reconciliation on your part. And you may have to pray for that. But if you're going to go and correct someone, all the scriptures I know about doing it mention the need for gentleness. Years ago, I memorized Proverbs 12:18, and it has spared me many a time. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see the picture there? Your tongue can be a sword you start slashing and tearing that person to bits, or it can be a scalpel like a doctor skillfully uses just to cut out the diseased part and bring healing. Totally different aims. The sword, I'm going to get him. The scalpel, I'm going to heal. I'm going to heal. So that should be your, your aim. And then fifth, check to see what character qualities God may want to teach you through this conflict. There is always room to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is always room to grow in humility. Always. And so you have to figure out, Lord, what do you want to teach me through this? I always need to learn to depend on the Lord more in prayer. And sometimes a conflict makes me realize I haven't prayed for that person. I haven't genuinely been praying. And so you go more in prayer. But every conflict is an opportunity to grow in godliness. Or, of course, to go the other way. So first of all, look to the Lord. Secondly, you look to yourself. And then thirdly, and this is probably the... I don't know if it's the most difficult part, but it's difficult. Go to the person in a spirit of gentleness in an attempt to be reconciled. Romans 14, 18, Paul says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Now, some manuscripts read, let us pursue, but either way you you take it, the idea is no matter who started it, You're responsible to go and resolve any relational strain, to pursue peace and the building up of one another. That word pursue is sometimes in the New Testament actually translated persecute. And the idea is it means going after it deliberately. You know, it's an intentional thing, uh, a deliberate thing that requires focused attention. Now, before you go, stop and pray for the right timing and the right setting and the right 
attitude that you will be gracious and you will be gentle and you'll be kind. Pray for the right wording. Uh, Pray for the other person to be open. You know, I think a model for how to deal with a wrong, and, and the wrong wasn't against him in this case, but the story of Nathan going to David. And how he just didn't go in there and say, you committed adultery and murder, you're guilty. David might have said, off with your head. Instead, he goes in and he lures David in with the story. And it appeals to David's emotions. And then he springs the trap and says, you're the man. You're the man. You did that. Um, I find it helpful when you meet with the offender. First of all, ask questions. James 4 says, be, I mean 1, James 1, 19 says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear. All right, do I understand where this person's at? Do I understand maybe what happened here? And I'm not there to win an argument. I'm not there to prove I'm right and you're wrong. I'm not there to back the guy into a corner where he's just got to eat humble pie. No, I want to bring healing and reconciliation, and to help glorify God, to help my brother or sister grow in Christ, that's a different perspective. And so you don't want to back the person into a corner where they've got to, you know, uh, be put down or, or get defensive. And it's helpful, too, to let the other person know, hey, I'm a fellow sinner, I often sin, but I've just come to you to, to talk to you about what I perceive as your sin here. And so you're, you're coming alongside. Then speak the truth, but always speak it in love. And there's a balance here, and you can err two ways. If you go in and exaggerate, you know, you always. Well, no, they don't. Nobody's that consistent, you know. Are you never? You're, you're trying to build your case by exaggerating their fault. That's not truthful. Uh, or if they say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And you're not fine. That's not truthful. I'm not fine. I'm kind of hurting, thank you. Uh, so you, you, you can't minimize the other person's sin. Uh, it's no big deal. Remember Joseph with his brothers? He had forgiven them, but he said, you guys meant evil. (laughs) He just lays it out there. You meant evil, but God meant it for good. So he didn't say, oh, no big deal, brothers. You know, I know you sold me into slavery. No harm, no foul. No, he, he called it what it was. He was truthful. The other way you err is you speak the truth, but you don't do it in love. You know, you come on and you blast them. And you say, well, that's just how I feel. Okay, that's truthful, but it's not loving. That may be how you feel, but you're not really regarding the other person's feelings. And love doesn't use abusive speech that puts the other person down. As I said, love doesn't back them in a corner and prove you're wrong and I'm right. All of that comes from pride. Um... Love comes saying, I want to build this person up. And if they, as often happens, when you try and bring it up, they're going to criticize you. Uh, They may attack you verbally. They may blame you. 
They may insult you. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, don't give insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. So you figure out, all right, if I get attacked, how can I respond with words that will bless the attacker? I find it helpful before you go, read through 1 Corinthians 13, and it gives you a a portrait of what biblical love looks like. Now, depending on the magnitude of the offense, if the offender doesn't repent, you may need to go, as Matthew 18 said, with another person. And if they still refuse to repent, You may need to involve the elders of the church. Eventually, it may need to be told to the church, depending, again, on the magnitude of things. If it's a serious offense, uh, they may need to be put out of the fellowship. But the aim is not to do that. The aim is bring healing, bring restoration, bring reconciliation, build up the other person in Christ for the glory of God and the good of the other person. So... That's what happens when someone wrongs you in a non-legal way. Now, briefly, let me look at what happens when somebody intentionally wrongs you in a legal way. Well, you need to distinguish between a civil and a criminal offense. If it's a civil matter, that is, it's not a violation of criminal law, um, maybe they... um, did something that, you know, uh, resulted in financial loss to you or something. First of all, you seek resolution personally. Then you involve church leaders. And only as a very last, last resort would you involve litigation. Let me explain. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul rebukes the bickering Corinthian church because they were taking one another to court Um, before unbelievers. And he asks rhetorically in 1 Corinthians 6-7, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? If you're considering suing another believer, I think first of all you need to ask, how is this going to glorify God? It may not in many, many cases. Second question, well, how is this going to help or hinder the furtherance of the gospel? And how is it going to help or hinder being reconciled to my brother? Sometimes reconciliation isn't possible, but that should be your aim. Now, if you can't resolve it going one-on-one, then you may need to involve Christian arbitrators, either the elders of your church or There are Christian arbitration services that are available. Uh, Sometimes there's a difficult situation. The person goes to another church, and the other church will not practice church discipline. And so then sometimes the process just stalls right there. Now, some will differ with me on this, and you're free to do that. Um, But I think that if you have exhausted all possible means of reconciliation and the issue is serious enough, there are times when it is permissible uh, to take legal action against the other person. They claim to be a believer. They're denying it by their behavior. Their church won't deal with them. You may, at that point, have to go to civil court. For example, say you're a businessman 
and you need to be paid what you're owed to keep your business going. Uh, you may need to sue the one who has ripped you off. Or maybe just as a husband, you're responsible to provide for your family, and someone has done great financial harm to your family. I think that there are times where you may need to use the courts. Or another situation, maybe you see in this person a pattern of greed and dishonesty that is going to damage others, and it needs to stop. And you've exhausted all the other means of trying to bring reconciliation. This guy is just a habitual crook. And he needs to be called to account. I think in those cases, again, it may be right to take him to court. But before you do that, you have to examine your own heart. Make sure you're not being greedy. Uh, You're not seeking revenge. Uh, You do that heart check that I talked about. Um, I'm in good company in my view that it is permissible because John Calvin in the Institutes has a lengthy section where he argues the same thing in I put the reference there in the notes, but uh, some would disagree with me on that, and you're free to do that. Uh, A second thing, if it's a criminal offense, that is the person broke the the criminal law, then I believe you should call government authorities and let them carry out justice and in that way protect others. Romans 13 says, God has given the civil government for the Uh, to uphold the law, to protect the innocent, and to punish evildoers. For example, if somebody molests your child, I don't think it is right to keep it to yourself. Uh, That person will probably molest another child, and you need to protect them. And the way you do it is by calling the authorities, and that person should be convicted and go to prison. Uh, If a Christian claiming to be a Christian as embezzled money, he needs, first of all, voluntarily to make full restitution and repent. If he doesn't, there are criminal penalties for that. If a husband physically abuses his wife or children or sexually abuses them, he needs to face the penalties of the law. It's not enough. Oh, I repent. Okay, but you broke the law. And the law is there to protect innocent people and to protect others as well. If a man rapes a woman, uh, he needs to pay the penalty of law. And so don't just forgive and forget. So what I'm saying is this, forgiving and loving the person is not opposed to using the law that they pay the penalty for their crime if they have committed a Uh, legal offense, criminal offense. Let me touch real quickly on what happens when another believer wrongs you unintentionally. Well, there you need to decide, should you absorb it or should you talk to the person? There's a judgment call involved here. Uh, Same process as with an intentional wrong. First look to the Lord, then look to yourself uh, and ask yourself, Am I being overly sensitive? Am I being overly critical? Uh, Maybe I'm assuming a wrong motive that just doesn't exist. The person's clueless. They wrong me, yeah, but maybe they are a new believer. Maybe they're insensitive. 
Maybe their personality is different. Uh, it's, it's hard, but you have to ask, was this a deliberate sin against me, or was this person just spiritually immature? Or maybe it's just human imperfection. We're all imperfect beings. Um, so, you know, you could be wrong, but maybe you should just absorb it. Uh, I uh, had a man in our church in California. In fact, he prayed to receive Christ in my living room, joined our church, and eventually left our church, and he was upset. So I called him and said, hey, what's going on? Well, your elders are unfriendly. Well, when you get a blanket statement like that, you got to pin it down. So I said, which elder was unfriendly to you? And he named the elder that I would say was the most gregarious, friendly elder of the bunch. And I said, what, well, what happened? Well, he walked right by me at church and never even said hello. And I said, you know, he probably had his eye on someone on the other side of the room that he needed to see, and he was making a beeline for him. I'm sure it was not intentional, but if it really bothers you, then here's what you do. And I explained to him, call him up, get together with him, Tell him how you felt and give him an opportunity to make it right. And then report back to me and tell me how it went. See, I wanted to hold him accountable. He wouldn't do it. He left the church in a huff. I hope he's still going on with the Lord somewhere. I've lost touch with him. But the point is, if an unintentional offense is hindering your relationship and you really you know, can't get over it that way, or maybe you think this person has a pattern of behavior that he needs to learn about that's going to offend many others, or it's a blind spot, then the loving thing to do is, again, follow the procedure for an intentional wrong. Go to the person after examining, or going to the Lord and examining yourself, and try and be reconciled. One final thing. What do you do when you wrong another believer? Uh, that will happen. Well, first of all, you ask God's forgiveness, and then you go and properly ask forgiveness for the one you wronged. Uh, you have to think through and be specific about what you did wrong, because it's easy to paper over it, make it sound like, well, I didn't really intend to hurt you, but, you know, I'm sorry that happened, and and minimize what you did. You need to be as specific as you can. Don't blame the other person. Don't attack the other person. Even if you think he's mostly at fault in that book on resolving everyday conflict, Sandy and Johnson say, even if I'm only 2% responsible for a conflict, I'm 100% responsible for my 2%. So I got to deal with my 2% without saying, yeah, but you were 98% wrong. No, let the Lord convict him of his 98%. Now, here's the crucial thing. Use the right wording when you go to ask forgiveness. The right wording. I've heard people say, if I was wrong, please forgive me. Okay, what's that doing? Well, that's belittling, you know, your sin. You're kind of saying, I don't think I was wrong. It might have been an oversight, but, you know, if I was wrong and you were so sensitive as to be hurt by what I did, uh, please forgive me. That's not true confession or true forgiveness. 
Don't say, I'm sorry I yelled at you, but, you know, it just makes me angry when you treat me that way. See, again, you're blaming them for your own sin. Uh, The way to do it is to say this, you know, God has convicted me of how wrong I was when I spoke to you as I did. And I've, I've gone before the Lord and I've asked his forgiveness. And uh, I've come to ask, will you forgive me? Now, they may not. They're deeply wounded. And you just absorb that if they say, no, I'm not going to forgive you. Well, it would really mean a lot to me if, if you could find it in your heart to forgive me. And I will try to correct that. I won't promise perfection, but I'll, I'll work on that sin. And then ask the person for your prayers. Would you pray for me that I'll grow in that area? That's, I think, the godly way. One more case. What happens when someone you know has been wronged and they come and tell you about it? Don't listen to his side only and take up his offense, but rather direct the offended person to take the steps of action that I've explained earlier in this message. You see, it's easy. You, you know and love the person. Say, how could they do that to you? And boy, you're crusading then to defend them. Wait a minute. You haven't talked to the other party. Proverbs 18.17 says, The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. Uh, I've seen that all the time in marriage counseling. One partner comes to me. Oh, man. How could he do that to you? And then I talk to him. Oh, okay. It's a different story. You, you have to get both sides. as Be as objective as you can. So if somebody comes to you and says, do you know what so-and-so did to me? The first question to ask is, have you gone to that person and, and sought reconciliation? Chances are the answer is no. Uh, and you need to direct the person, ask him too, have you talked to others? about what he did. If the answer is yeah, you need to stop that. That's gossip. And and you need to go directly to the person and you explain the steps of how to do it. Look to the Lord. Look to yourself. Go in a spirit of gentleness and seek to be reconciled. And then hold them accountable by saying, after you've done that, would you please come and tell me how it went that you got it resolved? You see, and so you know they aren't just going to blow it off and keep talking to other people. Now, you say, well, what if none of those steps brings resolution? Well, we live in a real fallen world, don't we? And sometimes it's not possible, and the Bible is honest about that. Paul, in Romans twelve eighteen says, If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. And sometimes... It's just not possible. What do you do then? Well, you pray for that person. You don't badmouth him to everybody else. And you get on with growing in Christ and serving the Lord, recognizing, well, this is the world we live in. You seek to be kind when you have opportunities to the person. You seek to do them good, maybe in a nonverbal way. You just serve them. And you get on with the cause of the gospel. Um, and uh, that, that's all you can do is just pray. And yet it's important to do all you can to be reconciled because as I said at the beginning, it is 
the second greatest commandment. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you acknowledging our many faults. We've all been wronged. We've all wronged others. And sometimes we've not dealt with it your way. I pray that you would bring healing to every relationship that exists in this room and give us wisdom on how to pursue peace and the building up of the other person. And Lord, by your spirit, would you bring healing where there is brokenness, where there's alienation, where there is hostility. Help us, Lord, so far as it depends on us to be at peace with all people. And Lord, we give you thanks for the cross that forgave all our sins. Help us to keep the cross in front of us daily and to recognize how much you've forgiven us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.